our series in the Gospel of John. And we come up to John chapter 12, verses 42 to 50. And the theme this morning is speaking out. Now this week the USA celebrated another Independence Day when on the 4th of July, 1776, 56 men signed the Declaration of Independence severing ties to the old England. And of course we know that that started the revolution which lasted about five years. But the, what kicked it off was the, the conviction of these men to sign these documents, to put their name there. And this, because they signed this, because everybody knew who they were, where they lived, what they owned, who their families were, this resulted in untold sufferings for, for themselves and their families. Now, of the 56 men, five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside as she was dying. They had 13 children and they all fled for their lives. His fields and his mill were destroyed. For over a year he lived in forests and caves, returning home only to find his wife dead and his children vanished. A few weeks later, he also died from exhaustion. Now, centuries have passed and we give approval and we celebrate the lives of men like these. All the Americans do more than others. But what the, the, the Declaration of Independence had, had a, a repercussion for the, for the rest of the world and as a few countries, colonies started to break away. So it started a, a chain reaction. So the real question for us today is whether we would have stood with them and be prepared to share the abuse to which they were subjected at the time. You see, it is, it is relatively easy to give approval to what has already been achieved and follow along to what everybody else is already doing. It is, however, much harder. One of the hardest things you will ever do is to throw yourself behind a cause that goes against accepted behaviour. Because once something is done, it appears that many are willing to get behind it, get behind in the, in the slipstream, as it were, even celebrate the victory. But few want to fight with you side by side in the heat of the battle. There is a very big difference between the two positions. And today this is what one of the things that we were going to have a look at. Now it might help us to realise, just by way of context, that uh, with the end, remember that chapter 12 is a very crucial chapter in the Gospel of John. Therefore, uh, it, it brings themes that are covered before and it talks about, it, it is a bridge to what is coming later on. Now starting with chapter 13, Jesus is talking only to his disciples in the very last 
week, night of his life. And then comes his death and resurrection. So think of these final verses of John 12 as the last thing that Jesus says as part of his public, public ministry. Another way to look at these verses is that they sum up the message of the Gospel of John. And so some of the things that are mentioned here have already been brought up in the earlier chapters and they are now, it's almost like a, like a summary of everything that has been taught thus far. first point we want to make this morning is when we talk about praise on praise, Whose praise are we talking about? Verses 42 to 43. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear. They would be put out of the synagogue for they loved human praise more than the praise from God. Now as you read the Gospel of John, you will notice that he's not... He's not all that kind, the Apostle John is not all that kind to the actions of those who are camouflage followers of Jesus, those who are secret followers of Jesus. Remember that as he writes this, he is suffering for the name of Jesus. He's a prisoner on the island of Patmos. So he describes their situation of these, let's call them camouflage secret Christians, he he describes their situation as being somewhat conflicted, wanting to believe in Jesus, but fearing that by doing so they were going to be ostracised for their faith. Being put out of the synagogue meant not just pushed out of the community of faith, but also the the, the synagogue was, was, was a social place. It was a place even where business matters were considered and resolved. And in the end, the pressure to comply was just too much as they feared men more than they feared God. And he names two of these characters in chapter 19. And so we we jump up to chapter 19, verses 38 to 39. You will know their names well. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared, what? The Jewish leaders. And with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about 75 pounds. Now why mention Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea in this manner so late in the book if not to be making a point? Earlier in the chapter we saw Mary who with, in, a, in a very brash act she came beforehand to prepare his body with some very valuable ointment, about a year's salary's worth. The obvious and significant inference is that others would come afterward to do the same. But Mary is renowned and her story will be told because she came 
beforehand. Nicodemus carried 75 pounds of myrrh, which was worth an astronomical amount of money. And then Joseph gave up his tomb, freshly cut for him, his family, gave that up. Could they be feeling just a little bit guilty that they didn't do more for Jesus while he was still alive? touch of remorse perhaps, a little bit guilty. Yes, Nicodemus did buy Jesus some more time at that Sanhedrin. He spoke up to defend him, but that was all. And biblical tradition tells us that both of these guys were involved in the early church. Later on, after seeing the resurrected Jesus and confirmation of that, But you see, timing is very important. Timing is is, is very important because as mortal beings, as we have just been reminded in communion, as mortal beings, our time to serve is limited, limited by many factors. But the biggest limiter is, of course, our life. And under that is our health. And under that is our finances. And so on and so forth. Time to serve is now. Don't wait for tomorrow. Time to declare your allegiance, to confess Jesus is today. Now last week we spoke of Isaiah's marvellous vision in the temple which is described in in, in Isaiah chapter chapter 6. And what was Isaiah's response to that marvellous vision which he saw? Isaiah's response was to become... God's messenger to tell them of of judgment to harden his mission was to harden their hearts very difficult job there's not a lot of hope in that is there but he was called to go and he was sent and this is what John tells us in verse 41 these things Isaiah said because he saw his glory And he spoke of him. He saw the glory and he spoke of him. What was the motivation for him to go to to, to do what he had to do? The fact that he saw his glory. And he says, if if I just got a glimpse, if I've got to go, I'm going to go. No matter the price, I'm going. How could you keep quiet about something so marvellous as that? Witnessing the glories, he told others, he spoke, he confessed, no matter the cost. Now in Jesus' day, many believed, but did not confess. They didn't confess him before men, just as many are hesitant to do so today. We have an epidemic of camouflaged Christians today. Many will tell you that they believe in Jesus, but they're afraid to do so, to say so, publicly. On the light side, on the light side, they're afraid that they might be laughed at or criticised and, and spoken of as just being narrow-minded and intolerant 
and therefore fear losing friends, actual friends and maybe even friends on Facebook, which is much worse than actual friends, in the process. On the heavier side, on the heavier side, what if your job, your career, your promotion is on the line because of what you believe? This week we received the news from England of uh, Felix Ngoli, who was, uh, whose career was terminated. Not just, and, and, and what they were saying, and, and, and please note this, the, the, they didn't want him to speak of his faith because he was a social worker, not even in church they were going to give him the freedom to speak of his faith. Not even in church, imagine that. And the, the first rule, the first court uh, agreed, but thank God that uh, they put up a very big defence by, funded by some, some lawyers and who gave up their time, and the appeals court found him uh, not guilty and he was able to exercise his freedom to tell others about Jesus. Of course, we have our own Israel Falau, and that case is before the courts now. What you believe, because this is important stuff, this is life and death stuff, these are eternal matters stuff, if you are convicted by the truth, you cannot keep quiet. You have to confess. You have to step out. You have to tell others. This is what we're called to do. And some might say, well, Paul, come on, man. How long have you been a pastor? 25 years? Well, you just live in this bubble, right? You expect us to go out there? You know, we've got home loans. You know, we've got families. You know, we've got careers, all that stuff. Just be a little bit more realistic, all right? Don't come so heavy-handed on here and, and tell us what we've got to do. Well, I'm not telling you. How do you think it's like for a lot of Christians around the world today? In Africa, in China. What do you think it was like for the early Christians? The Bible tells us that it's not enough to simply believe in Jesus. We must also be ready to publicly confess him before others. This is what Paul says in Romans. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 to 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth Confession is made unto salvation. Confession is very important. You acknowledge him before men, the son will acknowledge you before the father. I can't put it any simpler than that. Now just to bring this point, this first point to a close, let's clear up a couple of things. Let's be honest. Most of the unbelieving world cares very little about what we believe. So long as we keep quiet about it, don't say anything. Someone, however, that does care and is taking notes is God. Who are you trying to please? Men or God? Secondly, the silence of those who profess to know Christ will not 
prevent God's purposes from being achieved. Throughout history, God has been bringing about his purposes both in spite of and by means of man's failures. God will find a way. He always does. But isn't it much better to be cooperating than resistant? Isn't it much better to be an Isaiah than a Jonah? Because either way, he's he's, going to do what he's going to do. Come on, Jonah, get with the program here. There's something to be done. So God calls us to confess him. Second point on light and darkness, verses 44 to 45. Now, then Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. I like it how verse 44 starts. It says that Jesus cried out. He wasn't quiet, was he? He was out there. He cried out. Those who were there, they heard it. He cries out to a a stiff-necked, unbelieving people to come to him, to believe in him. And, and, And believing in him, he's saying, is like believing in the Father. Looking at him is like looking at the Father. He lets us know just one more time in the midst of so much, so much rejection that the one who sent him was God the Father himself. Sadly, over the years, over the years, the image of the Father was corrupted or even domesticated so much so that they failed to recognise him even when the Father had sent the Son. They had an imperfect, a very bad, not just imperfect, but very bad, wrong image of who, who God the Father was. Now the context here perhaps is a little bit different to us. Let's remember that Jesus was sent to his own, to the people of Israel. These were his people. They were supposed to be God-fearing who grew up from the moment that they, even before they could walk, they were memorising, reading and being taught the scriptures from a very early age. They knew the word of God. Unfortunately, that didn't apply. His disciples, however, his disciples would be sent to a pagan and godless world, a world that lived in utter darkness. What the early church, you read the stories of the places like Ephesus and Corinth and Rome, the stuff that they used to get up to will make the hairs on the back of your head stand up. They had nothing on us when it comes to depravity. And these were the people who were sent. That is why John earlier said, this is the verdict, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world 
But what happens? People love darkness instead of light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Those who love darkness look out, search the light in the same way that a criminal is always wanting to find a policeman. Right? It never happens, right? In fact, they run away from it. Those who do evil things run away from the light. And more than that, they try to turn off the light or turn that light off. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get some privacy here. Switch it off. Or even more than that, they try to turn the light off for good. At the very least, if you're going to be shining your light, shine it somewhere else. I need some privacy. Jesus is the light. There is no other, so we don't have to go searching for another light. How grateful we should be that at least there is light for us. This is why he shouted, he screamed, he he raised his voice, he cried out. The light is in the world. You guys just don't appreciate how privileged you are that I'm here, Jesus was saying. And it was as if he was shouting to all of fallen humanity and he's still shouting today, look at me, look at me. I've come from the Father, I'm going to the Father, I am the light, therefore walk in the light. Walk in the light, do not walk in the darkness. Now we come to verses 47 to 50 on judging. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. And I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Jesus in chapter 3 has already taught us that the wrath of God remains on those who do not believe in him. Those who do not believe in him, we need to understand that. Those who do not believe in Jesus, even though they might be good people, even though they might do great works and do wonderful things that get the praise of men and everything, if they do not believe in God, the wrath of God remains on them. But what is... But that is not the purpose of why he came into into the world. He didn't come to condemn them. Why? Because the world is already condemned. He came into the world to save. Think about this point. That as the Son of God, he would not have had to be born into humanity in order to be the judge of the world. God... The Son 
could judge the world from up there. He didn't have to be born, incarnated, go through the suffering, do all those things in order to judge us. He took our skin. He he was born into our humanity because he came to save. He came to save. He could not have done it from up there. But he was born into a human family in order to be our saviour. And that is what he did. And by its very nature, salvation makes a division between men, between those who believe and those who do not. The same truth that is life and forgiveness for one is death and condemnation for the other. That is the way it is. Is the way it is. And the Bible warns us that judgment will come and the wrath of the Holy God will be poured out. But do you realise, do you realise it would not be, I know I'm getting controversial here, but you realise that it won't be because, primarily because people have sinned. Because we're all sinners. We're all sinners and therefore already condemned. Ultimately, no one will be judged or, or, or be unfit for heaven because they were a murderer or a thief or an adulterer or a homosexual or a liar. These are the outward behaviours. These are their outworkings that are evidence of those who are unrepentant. That's why the Apostle Paul, he had all these people in his church, but this is what you once were, but no longer, for you are now redeemed. So if you don't want to believe, you don't want to repent, just continue in your behaviour as it is, because that's exactly what the natural man is like. Nothing is wrong. It's all out there for the taking. Last year, um, end of January last year, we were floating peacefully on a, on a boat on the Zambezi River in Zimbabwe. Upstream from the great Victoria Falls. And the thought did occur to me, what if we lose power? What's going to happen? Now, just imagine a, a small boat. We were there, happily engaging in food and chatting away on this, on this cruise boat on the Zambezi River. And, and suddenly we see a little boat drifting alongside of us with a couple of people in there. They're, maybe they're fishing. And they're tourists. They're totally unaware of a couple of kilometres downstream of this 100 plus metre humongous waterfall called the Victoria Falls. Can you imagine if we're just there, if we're just there celebrating and just waving and saying, yeah, all good, mate, all good, and they're just drifting away, wouldn't you be screaming from the top of your voice and saying, stop, stop right there. Get, you know, get a rope or, or something and continue to warn them because they're going downstream, they're going to die. Nothing is going to stop them because the current speeds up and speeds up and down they go. 
Aren't you going to do everything in your power to warn them of the imminent danger? What if they didn't believe you that there was a waterfall there? Would you just say, okay, fine, bye? What would your attitude be? I think for most of us who are Christians, we know the implications, right? There's something, something much worse than a waterfall downstream. This is not just a temporary physical thing. This is eternity we're talking about. And therefore, the sense of urgency um, of people just drifting past and heading headlong into destruction should worry us. If this was enough to move the heart of God to send his servants, whether they be Isaiah or the Jeremiah's or or others or the Apostle Paul's into the pagan world, into the lost world, don't you think that God has the same job for us to step out, to go, to tell, to confess, to warn them, Jesus came to this earth, he spoke, he spoke more about hell than he did about heaven, as wonderful as heaven is. The words that the Father gave him to speak, he spoke, he even shouted, he cried out and they rejected his words and rejected him. No one could ever tell Jesus on the day of judgment, we were never told. We were never warned. And, and, and those words, those words which they rejected and, 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 and thought they were done with Jesus when they put him on the cross, those very words that they heard will meet up with them and judge them on the last day. You see, rejection of the light of Christ will be the charge against them. You didn't believe the light. And somebody from Liverpool Baptist shared the gospel with you, made it clear, and here you are. What is your excuse? I sent them to warn you. Now it is unfortunate and unfortunately that the, the church in the 21st century, what we call the, the post-Christian age, has been duped, sucked in by the spirit of the age. The world is boldly and unapologetically preaching its version of truth. Not only that, but is demanding compliance or else. The world is starting to dictate what the church can and can't do. And this in turn has caused many churches to merrily change their theologies and doctrines to appear more accepting, more inclusive. So much so that they have a very distorted view of the doctrine of grace. So much so that love has to be redefined in the minds of many Christians. It's love, right? 
Love has to be tolerant with no, no hint of judgment, otherwise it comes across as bigotry and hatred. They have a view of the Father who... The Father, our Heavenly Father, is more like a grandpa, always in a good mood, passive, not really in charge of things. He just, yeah, that'll be fine. Instead of the fearful Lord that he is. What is your view of the Father? See, God still judges today. And guess what? I believe we desperately need his loving judgment. We need to confront sin, renounce wickedness. We need to expose darkness for what it is. Because in the end, judgment is actually an act of deep love. It has to be. As God is love, he is also judge. And the greatest judgment was actually on the one he loved the most, his son. He doesn't lay down love when he moves in judgment and he doesn't forsake justice when he pours out his love. The two go together. God is love. God is just. But there is more to this whole judging thing. In order to kill discussion, we often hear this, this phrase, you can't judge me. No one is allowed to judge me. You don't have a right to judge me. Christians should never judge. This is you know, one of those cliches that you hear often. Thrown around like fresh, just to quieten us up. What's worse is that I often hear it from the lips of Christians. How? Why? How how did this happen? All that is a complete and utter distortion and perversion of what the Word of God teaches us about judgment. Of course we are to judge. We are repeatedly commanded, in fact, in Scripture, to judge properly. John 7 Early on, we had a look at John chapter 7. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. This means that we are not to judge based on the colour of someone's skin. We are not to judge on the basis of their education or their economic level. We are not to judge on their ethnicity. These are all externals, but we are definitely Instructed, we are in fact commanded to judge. Remember the words of Martin Luther King. A dream of a day when my children, I think he said, my daughters will not be judged by the colour of their skin but by the content of their character. So we are to judge. And I think Martin Luther in that occasion was right. Content of character is something that we have to judge on, isn't it? This is what makes us either trustworthy or untrustworthy to recommend this person to someone else or to not to recommend them. 
We, we take a fridge, we go to the fridge, we don't take it, you want to take it, take it, but we go to the fridge, get the milk, and one of the first things we do before we might give it to our children, or maybe even we drink it, before we drink it, it says, oh, how does it smell? You're already making a judgment on that milk. Is it cheese or is it still milk? Don't judge on externals. Don't do that. That's what the Bible condemns. We judge according to Scripture. There are numerous passages encouraging us, commanding us to judge, to test, to discern, to evaluate, even to discriminate and to differentiate. How else would you know what the difference between light and darkness is? what truth and falsehood is, whether right and wrong. How, do you, how would you know whether something is wrong or right? Is it just a common accepted behaviour or is it because it's commanded in the Word of God? And finally, as the Father has sent the Son, the Son sends us into the world to speak his truth not our version of the truth his truth his unadulterated truth not a PC version of the truth ultimately not only will the people be judged by this truth but also us who share it with them because if we have shared a diluted version of our truth, not God's, we will also be judged by that. There is no other truth, no other name, no other saviour than Jesus Christ our Lord.